I want to entitle my talk today uh, under the heading of Divine Direction. Divine Direction. And we're going to turn to Acts chapter 16 to illustrate that heading. Acts chapter 16 and verse 6 to verse 15 initially. <clears throat> And I'm reading from the New International Version. Acts 16, verse 6, Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Messia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day on to Neapolis. From there we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. <clears throat> One of these listening was a woman named Lydia a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded them. divine direction. Why didn't the Holy Spirit allow Paul and his companions to go to these two previous places? Did God not care about them? Did he not have a plan for them? Did he not have a purpose for them? Of course he did, but not at that very moment. However, he did have a plan for uh, Philippi, and we have read how God directed them through that vision that Paul saw Come over to Macedonia and help us. And so he says, they concluded that God had called them to preach the gospel to them. It's good to see God at work. And we see that in the case of their arrival in Philippi. Here were his servants, his instruments, and he was going to use them to do a wonderful work. He had a great plan. God is the... The, the master planner and it's just delightful to follow through in different occasions in the scriptures and out of them when God is at work touching lives and bringing people to himself. So we'll call this one divine illumination. We say that because the first miracle we see is the instrument that he was using, Paul. What was his first name? Saul. What was his first career? 
hating the very mention of the name of Jesus. What a transformation God had wrought in this man, Saul of Tarsus. From doing all that he could in his power to uh, frustrate the purpose of God and uh, disrupt the disciples of the Lord Jesus, he was transformed by that revelation on the road to Damascus. Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. What shall I do, Lord? And forever after, he was dedicating all the power he could to do all that he could to extend and further the cause of the Lord Jesus, advancing it with all the energy that he had previously channeled into opposing that precious name. So they were his willing servants to convey the gospel there. And the roadblocks uh, were directing uh, them to go to, uh, to Philippi. And that's where we come now, thinking of divine illumination. The first person is highlighted here is this lovely lady, Lydia. You know, I think <laughs> the Lord has his way of, of uh, throwing in compensation along the way. Remember he had wanted to go to Asia. That's Asia Minor, of course, we understand that. He wanted to go there and the Lord said no. But then he meets with Lydia. Where was Lydia from? Thyatira. And where was Thyatira? In Asia. So he couldn't go to Asia, but Asia came to him. <laughs> and uh, it's just delightful to read there what happened there. It says that uh, they came to, the, on the Sabbath, they went outside, they found a place of prayer and spoke to the women. And one of those listening was a woman named Lydia, dealing purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart. Her Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Got to ask some questions there, haven't we? What was Paul's message? Paul's message could be summed up <clears throat> well, you get the first hint there in verse 10. God had called to preach the gospel to them, the good news. That was what they had gone to Philippi to share the good news of the gospel, the gospel of the grace of God. Remember when Jesus was born, I bring you good news of great joy which shall be to all the people, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And salvation, I will call this B under that. A, the Gospel, B, salvation, because if you look down to the next story that we didn't read about, this slave girl who was causing them embarrassment, it says in verse 17, she followed Paul and the rest of them, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. Telling you the way to be saved. Now, that was true, but God doesn't need the devil to do his work for him, although he can sometimes uh, turn things around to good advantage. Uh, we know that. But it was the message of the gospel. It was the message of how to be saved. And that was what he was spelling out there. I'd like to go to Acts chapter 13, back a few pages, for a third element of the message that Paul shared. And this was in uh, Pisidian Antioch, it tells us in verse 13. But I want to jump down to verse <coughs> 32. 
Paul gave a long message there, and it's a lovely one to follow through, but in verse 32 he says, We tell you the good news, there's the gospel again, what God promised our fathers, he has fulfilled for us their children by raising up Jesus, as it is written in the second psalm. You are my son, today I have become your father. The fact that God raised him from the dead, never to decay, is stated in these words. I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is stated elsewhere, you will not let your Holy One see decay. Verse 36, God tells us, uh, we are told here about David, was buried. Verse 37, the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. That's the Lord Jesus. Now verse 38, therefore my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is preached to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. And then he sounds a warning about people who don't take heed to what was said. So we've got the good news of the gospel. We've got the way of salvation. And here, a vital thing for all of us, forgiveness of sins. That was why the Lord Jesus came to go to the cross and suffer for us there in order that God might be able to offer forgiveness to you and me. And we rejoice in that today. Now I just want to touch on another point uh, under the gospel and the message that Paul brought there. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He had gone to another city where there were lots of people who badly needed the gospel and... Paul tells us the message that he brought to them in verse 22 and 23. He's speaking about the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. In, under the heading of the message that Paul was sharing as he went from place to place was this vital dimension to it all. We preach Christ crucified. He says that was offensive to others, but he says it's the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes. And so that was the message that Paul brought to uh, Philippi. And that was the message that he shared with Lydia and the others who were listening there. There's another element to that, of course. Uh, In order to enter into the blessing of the gospel, he says in Acts chapter 17, when he was at Athens, that he says God overlooked sins of the past done in ignorance but he says now he commands all men everywhere and women to repent and he went on to speak about a day of judgment by which God had given assurance of it that he had raised the Lord Jesus from the dead he is the one who will judge the living and the dead solemn to think isn't it that the one who uh, is offered to us as saviour today will one day be the judge of those who do not repent and receive Christ as their saviour. Repentance is vital. Understanding who Jesus is, first of all. Repenting of our sins. And then, 
receiving Christ as our Saviour. In John 1 and 12 it says, To as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Wouldn't it be so sad to go through life believing that Jesus had come, not debating any of the features of the gospel, not denying any of them, but not responding, not receiving Christ, not, not claiming for yourself that which God has made available for you through the sufferings and death of the Lord Jesus. Now the good news about Lydia was that she did respond. It was a positive response. That's what we were reading there back in Acts chapter 16. But you notice how she responded. It says, the Lord opened her heart. The Lord opened her heart. That's a beautiful verse, isn't it? Here we are, and, well, I don't know about your heart, but human beings tend to have hard hearts, and we, we can ignore the things of God, but God is at work. I was saying that we're calling this divine illumination. Without this work of the Holy Spirit, we were singing about not knowing how the Spirit uh, moves, convincing us of sin. Here she was, responding to what she had heard, responding to the message of salvation, responding to the message of forgiveness. You say, did she need forgiveness? You say, she was a worshipper of God. She wouldn't need forgiveness? <coughs> oh, yes. doesn't matter how religious we are. doesn't matter how committed we are to what we think are the right things. We all need that forgiveness. And when she heard about the message, heard about the Saviour who loved her and died for her, the Lord was working there, touching her heart. Perhaps it was the story of the cross. There's an old hymn that says, have you heard the story of the cross where Jesus died for us? This cross, the story of the cross, Paul, Paul must have been a master preacher of the cross. When he was writing to the Galatians, he says, before your eyes, Christ was openly set forth, crucified. It was, they could just visualise it all happening. And it's good for us if we can just quieten our spirits and think about the Lord Jesus on the cross and think that he was there for me. He was dying for me. He was suffering for me. He was taking my place. If that doesn't touch our hearts, if that doesn't melt our hearts, well, we wonder what will. But here's Lydia. The Lord opens her heart and she responds to the message that Paul uh, shared with them that day. Now she went on to demonstrate her commitment to the Lord Jesus because she and her household were baptised. That wasn't to wash away her sins or their sins. That wasn't to bring spiritual life to them. We get that by receiving the Lord Jesus as our Saviour. But then we go on to commit ourselves to him. I was reading in Romans 1 this morning where Paul spoke about the people in Romans who say, he says uh, they were, he was sent to preach to the Gentiles to bring about the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. So when we place our trust in the Lord Jesus, he expects us to respond obediently as indeed Lydia did and she was baptised there. She was, uh, I would say, she, she, she invited the people to come and uh, stay with them. I must confess I prefer the old version there where it says, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, faithful to the Lord. What does the ESV say, David? Judge me to be faithful to the faithful, Lord. Faithful, yes. I think we'll stick with that because it's, 
to, to well, probably believe it's just the same thing, but it doesn't carry the same weight with us as the thought of being faithful. But what a tremendous thing. Here's a woman, she's never heard the gospel before. She hears it for the first time. She responds, her heart is open to the Lord Jesus. She receives Christ as her saviour. She commits herself to him and she says, I want to be faithful to the Lord. That's a tremendous objective in your life and mine, isn't it? So here she was. She was a woman of means and she was now enlisted for the cause of Christ. That's what we're looking for. People who will enlist for the cause of the Lord Jesus. Not just uh, passers-by, not just uh, on-again, off-again things, but total commitment to the Lord Jesus. And that's a great thing. Now, we referred to the slave girl, and we haven't got time to go whole, through the whole chapter, but as you do, you can see the, the divine director at work. And while we think about divine illumination in the case of Lydia, we can think about divine intervention, or rather divine deliverance, in the case of the slave girl. She was being abused. Uh, she was being used. She was being utilised by evil men who were making money out of her. And you can read the whole thing for yourself there. But Paul commanded the evil spirit to come out of her uh, in the name of Jesus. And every demon and every evil power will have to subject itself to the authority of the risen Christ of God. And it says in, uh, in verse 18 there that at that moment the spirit left her. Now that was great for her, liberated, set free uh, by the power of the Lord Jesus. But her owners, imagine calling people, imagine anybody being referring, referred to as owners of anybody. And that was the case there. Of course they were infuriated, their source of income was gone and they uh, incited a riot and had Paul and Silas beaten up seriously and thrown into jail. It was a divine deliverance for the girl, but it was a tough one for Paul and uh, Silas and what they had to endure there. But we rejoice that we can share the gospel with men and women today because lots of people are enslaved, not necessarily by people, although that still goes on, but enslaved by addictions and habits and all sorts of things that tie people down. We often rejoice in... Uh, Charles Wesley's hymn, he breaks the power of cancelled sin, he sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean, his blood availed for me. That ties it back to the cross. So there's deliverance, divine deliverance for men and women. And whilst we don't see many responding uh, as Lydia did, we are, it, it gives us pleasure to go and share with people what God can do and has done in many lives. Just thinking about slavery, when I was in Ghana the last time, I was taken to Cape Coast Castle, and uh, that was a very salutary experience to see the way that slaves were treated in by the bad old days. They marched hundreds of miles to Cape Coast Castle, kept in intolerable conditions, and after some weeks or perhaps months, when a ship arrived, they were shipped abroad away to the Western world to work there as slaves. Very salutary experience. And the guide who took us round the castle ended up by saying, well, that was the past, wasn't it? And then he said, no, it's not. A lot of slavery going on today. Evil people 
exploiting others, vulnerable people, for their own ends. But the biggest bondage of all, of course, is when we are enslaved to sin and the devil does what he will with such people. Now, Paul and Silas were thrown into prison and uh, that resulted in a very painful experience. But once again, the divine hand was at work and I'm calling this divine intervention because while they were singing (laughs) praises with bleeding backs, can you just get your head round that? In the prison, uh, at midnight, there was a mighty earthquake and their uh, bones were all loose. It says in verse 26, uh, once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. This was a man on the brink of eternity without Christ. And he got the fright of his life. And he said, he brought them out, verse 29, he called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. What a marvellous experience this was. Can you just picture it? A man who could so easily have taken his own life and gone beyond the opportunity of salvation forever, but just in time. These slaves at Cape Coast Castle were marched from their cells down through a, down a ramp, through a door that has over the top of it the door of no return. The door of no return. And of course they didn't come back. That man stood at the door of no return and it was as if the divine hand just pulled him back from the brink. And he says, what must I do to be saved? The most important question that any human being can ask, and we ask ourselves today, have I asked that question? Am I concerned enough to ask the question? The lack of concern in humanity today is really disturbing to think that people can blithely go through life and out through that door of no return and never be concerned as to whether they're saved or not. And so that's why we come back to our hymn that says, I know not how the Spirit moves convincing men of sin and then revealing Jesus So he's there, he's available. In fact, I like to let my imagination roam sometimes and I just think that the Lord Jesus has died and risen and gone back to heaven. And uh, is it stretching the imagination to think that he's just bending over, listening, waiting for somebody to ask that question? Because the Bible says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So he was saved by God's grace that day and it was a wonderful outcome to Paul's pain and Silas's pain. He, he, he believed in God and he was filled with joy. 
and his life was transformed as a result. But you know, when you think about the cross of the Lord Jesus, he bore far greater pain than Paul and Silas did, and there was a far greater outcome than just one person getting saved or a family getting saved, because heaven is going to be populated by people who responded to the call of God, received Christ as their saviour, and are assured of a home in glory when life is over at last. There was a, a greater joy when, uh, when you and I get saved to just stop and think that not only are we saved, but all who trust in Jesus are going to be gathered round the throne above when we will exult in our Lord Jesus and praise him for all eternity for his intervention in our lives. So yes, the divine director was at work and he was leading his servants. There was a divine illumination as Lydia understood what it was all about. Divine uh, deliverance for the poor girl who had been abused and exploited. And then finally, the divine intervention in a man who stood on the brink of eternity. We'll see them all someday. Isn't it wonderful to think that those who got saved by God's grace are gathered home already and we're on the way if we have trusted the Lord Jesus as our Saviour. Could I just throw in a, a quick last one there? And that is, what was the divine intention of it all? Was it just to bring people to the Lord Jesus for their salvation? Yes, it was certainly that. We wouldn't say just because there's a lot more there. Uh, in it than that but he had an in he had that plan of us all being gathered home at last but he had an interim plan what was the interim plan it was to gather to them together into the church of god in philippi and if you want a message on that you have to turn to the book of philippi and read these four beautiful chapters there and see the outworking of the divine intention when he was directing his people to go to philippi he had a master plan in view, and we just take the story and it unfolds stage by stage. Lydia first, the slave girl next, the jailer next. Uh, but you read in the Philippians, they're all gathered together and they're serving the Lord Jesus until that day when God took them all away. And we thank God that he's been doing that in Manchester too, hasn't he? Here we are today rejoicing in the what I'm calling the interim outworking of the divine intention so that we spend our days and our months and our years giving God the glory and trying to serve him until that time when we too will be taken away to be with him for all eternity. Let's give him our thanks.